I went up yeah. to the hot box again. Yeah. Um, had the most amazing time. It was the first time I brought my younger brother into the cold water. He's never done it before. Oh, never done it? No, no. Obviously, I've been trying to encourage him for all these years. <laughs> and he's like, no, I'm not doing that. Um, but he finally gave in. And uh, we went, I think we had it for about an hour and a half. So we must have went in and out about four times. Oh, yeah. And he just said it was like the best experience. Oh, so after being super zen, like absolutely loving my life, the girls had went on already to the calf. They'd get some coffee and warm up. And then Connor and I were just getting ready to, to follow them. But then Connor decided to drive straight out onto the beach. Oh, that's right. You, I just saw this video. <laughs> yeah. Here, bring this wee bit closer to you. That's, that's, the, uh, that's the video that I sent you. Oh, no. So that was funny for about 45 minutes trying to get Connor's car unstuck <laughs> from uh, Benin Beach. It was funny for 45 minutes. After that, it just became a living nightmare. <laughs> well, I, it, was, it was funny for me because I, I actually genuinely did see the funny side of it. <laughs> I, I was like, this not is just my life. car. Yeah, it's not my car. And then it also started like pissing with rain. Oh, bro. And I just kind of like accept that this is the reality right now. Yeah, You've yeah, got yeah. it. you got to see it. Like yeah. after being super zen and chill. Yeah, post sauna clarity. Something was going to happen <laughs> like that. So I just fully accepted it and went with it. Um, but yeah, that was my last experience in the sauna. So I'm really looking forward to getting in again today. Oh, man. The Clayton. I haven't been to the Clayton one for a while. Yeah. I had to dig out my little passes. I was like, where do I even have this thing anymore? Probably expired like 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, well, we don't accept pre-COVID passes. <laughs> there was a world before COVID. Yeah, I know. Can you imagine? <sighs> Carnage. But it's kind of funny because it's it's almost like full circle for us now. It is. How many years ago was it since we actually met? Must have been four, maybe? No. Yeah, it would have been about four. I'm married six three. years. So let's say I came to Bass in my second year married. So yeah, four years. Four years, yeah. yeah. Time flies, man. That is crazy. So y- you would have came in to do Ignite? Correct. Four years ago? Yep. Wow. So I was thinking about it on the bus in. I was thinking about the metaverse, obviously. I was thinking, I always like to think about the titles of the episodes. I'm like, you know what? Into the metaverse mm. with Ryan Scullin. That's Ooh. that's the name. And I was like, oh, that's so good. And I was like, oh, it's just like a play off the Spider-Man into the multiverse. That's why it works. I was like, thought I was like some sort of copyright genius. I was like, oh, no, I've actually just stolen this from uh, Marvel. So please don't sue me. But I was thinking about it on the way. And I was like, I was thinking about George Orwell's 1984. And obviously, like, I'm quite a skeptic when it comes to a lot of things, technology. And I appreciate the irony of that, considering I'm a tech native and I run a digital business. So that's not lost on me. You know, I was thinking about, like, 1984, I was thinking about The Matrix, and I was thinking about Ready Player One, and I was like, "Did no? has nobody heeded the prophetic warning that these things have given us? It seems like those are such popular things, but I feel like everyone on the planet who's remotely into tech has seen it, and they're almost just like, oh yeah, great movie. Anyway, let's, go, let's actually try to bring this into reality, and let's try to make this the world that we live in, and we're like, did nobody read or watch the movies? Like, what's happening? Yeah, yeah, and it's it's funny that you start there because I'm I honestly think that a lot of the builders, let's say, of the metaverse, are inspired by these types of Ooh. films and novels, and and I think that it's almost <laughs> where do you source your creativity from? <laughs> it's like they're taking it from these kind of dystopian like futures, yeah, and that definitely worries me, and. <sighs> Yeah, the metaverse could can, could genuinely take on so many different forms. Mm. And I think it's something that we need to get ahead of. Yeah. And I almost feel like because of COVID, 
and the acceleration of our lives into the digital world and i mean more so the mainstream lives like as in our actual work like i think some crazy stat was like i think it was in 2021 the zoom had like 10 million users okay and then i think it was like like as soon as lockdown hit i think it was up to like 200 million users or something <laughs> crazy but obviously there like that's a huge shift in our everyday lives yeah and i think even over the last kind of 15 years or so like we have just started spending more and more time mm-hmm. in these digital worlds and i think a lot of people aren't aware of it i don't know if you use screen time in your phone because i know you're really on kind of your digital time and i would be as well but you can slowly see that <laughs> we are starting to spend more time on our phones. Yeah. If we're not on our phones, we're on our laptops. If we're not on our laptops, we might be watching TV. And then obviously my favorite one, gaming. Yeah. So if you actually look at how you spend 24 hours of your day, mm-hmm. I would make a bold guess here that probably about 75% of that time, 70% maybe, is hooked into some form of digital world. You're plugged in, bro. Yeah. You literally are, and that goes back to what you said at the very start there, which is the matrix. Yeah, man. And this this is where it kind of scares me. So with things like, and I'm definitely, I wouldn't say a technologist, I don't really understand it at a core level, but with the development of things like AI, you know, is AI going to be something that aids us in terms of, in terms of making our lives more pleasurable? Mm. Or is it going to realize that we're just like inefficient horror <laughs> no i'm not saying we all are of course not there's great things in the human species but what i mean is if i mean we could go down a whole path here about ai is it conscious is it not the morality and ethics around that but maybe not for today but my point being is if you look at these types of futures the tech technologies that exist there and what is currently being created with things like gaming yeah. is at the bleeding edge of a lot of these technological revolutions yeah you've got the internet of things like we're so connected nowadays in your house you may have an alexa you know i'm wearing a whip band here which is collecting all my physical data you know there's so so much data readily available and i think the metaverse that is being created is just going to be an extension of that and as more and more tech gets created then the opportunities for the metaverse becomes greater and i feel like it will almost seamlessly integrate into our everyday lives yeah um so maybe a good place to start actually i'm kind of conscious of this is like what actually is the metaverse yeah 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 yeah. Uh, but i really like the with the picture you've painted so far because the way i'm processing what you're saying is is the metaverse is simply a visual layer that's being put on top of a virtual reality we're already living in you know what I mean? Like you talk about your house. I'm thinking about the hive monitor I have that like controls my house. I don't have a smart fridge, but I know people have a smart fridge. You know, we are living in a virtual world already. Mm-hmm. And when you were talking about Zoom, I thought that was a really interesting point because I've been experimenting with a couple of like uh, competitors of Zoom recently. Like there's a great one called Butter. Okay. And it's like trying to make it like a lot more fun, a lot more engaging. And you go into these platforms and it is like a parody of Ready Player One. Like, you know what I mean? You can turn yourself into like a little emoji and you can have like gifts flying everywhere and there's like music playing. And it's just like, whoa, this is literally like what we think of when we think about like a typical metaverse environment. And I think it's really important. And I'm glad that you started there. We are already living here. Mm. This is just the next iteration of that. Mm-hmm. So okay, what are we talking about in the context of this conversation when we're talking about a metaverse? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think, to be honest with you, there isn't one definition right now. Yeah, I think no one's really agreed upon, like this is the exact term of the metaverse and what it means. But I think maybe 
one way you could look at it is potentially what is the potential definition for it and then what are some of the characteristics of the metaverse. So I think in terms of the definition, I would say that the metaverse is a combination of virtual worlds that allow us to socialize and connect and work and play um, in a digital way. Mm -hmm. And I think one of maybe the misconceptions is that this is surely through VR. Yeah. Um, and that's not the case. I think that can be via Zoom. It can be via your phone and social media. It can be via gaming. But really the metaverse, I think, in which a lot of us have in our mind or that's being portrayed by the kind of technologists and what we see of the future with the Ready Player Ones is this crazy world that has, <laughs> you know, we literally like plug our brains into yeah, 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 like yeah. the matrix and yeah. we spend all of our time there and we're basically just these like physical bodies in the, <laughs> in the real world and we spend yeah literally 24 7 in the virtual so i think that would maybe be one of the definitions that i would use it is a, a combination of virtual worlds there's not one singular metaverse mm-hmm. at the minute we'll talk chat about this later there's many different companies trying to build the quote-unquote metaverse i don't necessarily think it's going to be a walled garden because if it is then you're going to have the same issues that you have in web 2 with the big fine companies like the Facebooks, the Apples, who basically just control everything and control the data. Unfortunately, it's starting to look that way, though. Um, but I think if you look at... But that's the argument of like why Facebook is trying to get ahead of all this. Or excuse me, why Meta is trying to get ahead of all this. Because <laughs> they're like, first, you know what I mean? Like if we get in there first, we can start putting these walls up. And once we've got people trapped inside the walls, then just like in Ready Player One, yeah. you can start to monetize the crap out of it. And people have got no alternative. Yeah, and I think... That's a very skeptical way to look at it, but I'm a skeptic. So. But it's... Well, here, I would totally agree. Like with what they're trying to do with Horizon Worlds is is essentially that. Like I did, you probably watched the Meta yeah. video. like. That was so cringe. Like, it really was. Like, Zuckerberg, don't get me wrong, is phenomenal what he's been able to build. Like, with Facebook, that is probably the most successful company uh, of the last kind of, well, as long as I can remember, especially in tech. But I think, obviously, there were some different reasons as to why they rebranded to Meta. It Was it really because they massively believe in the metaverse? Um, yes, that could be the case. If you genuinely believe that, Billions of people are going to be part of this virtual world. Of course, you want to be the first one there to plant your flag. Yeah. And they've successfully done it in Web2. And what? how many users did they have? Like over 3 billion yeah, sure. users. Like It's crazy, crazy scale. But I still think we're so far away from that. But one of the interesting things that you've mentioned there about Meta is that they've actually fast-forwarded the conversation about mm-hmm. what the Metaverse actually is. My personal thought on this, I'm going to bring this back in a wee second, is... I still think we're so early mm-hmm. with the technology, with blockchain technology as a whole. I think almost the hype train came too soon. But I think in such a way, though, it's made the general public and the mainstream more aware of this concept yeah. of the metaverse. And that's a positive. And the reason why I say that, investors like to be on the next big thing, the next big wave, whatever it may be. Obviously, in the last two years, now, or even since 2018, it very much has been Web3. And that encompasses everything from your cryptocurrencies to the metaverse itself. Could we just do another quick definition on Web3? Well, that's that's kind of, I would say, cryptocurrencies, yeah. which is kind of like Bitcoin, which is like a digital goal that you can use in these online environments to interact with one another, to do commerce, let's say. That's one definition. I think crypto was being widely used for the last kind of 10 years or so since that Bitcoin white paper. But I think recently, because the tools and technologies that are being used in this kind of digital world have evolved so much Mm -hmm. that Web3 is now the kind of all-encompassing 
umbrella term. And it also takes away some of the stigma that's attached with cryptocurrency. And, and I think Web3 is now the adopted term for these types of technologies and tools. So it's a little bit like a Pokemon where it's like Web1 was, oh, come on, dig deep, Matthew, was like your Charmander. Web2 is like your Charmeleon and Web3 is like your Charizard. It's like a completely different beast that is somewhat unrecognizable from the evolution before. I'm thinking about Web1. Web1 maybe would have been like my dad. My dad was a classic geek, loved technology, loved getting in on it. You know, one of the first guys to put dial-up internet in his home, like that sort of stuff. Then you had Web2, which was kind of like my generation. And I kind of feel like, because I'm not on the cutting edge Mm -hmm. of what's coming next, I almost feel like Web3 is like for the people coming after me. I almost feel like I'm getting left behind Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of stuck holding on to Web 2 being like, no, I like Web 2. I know how it works. And I'm looking very like cautiously and, and kind of scared at Web 3. The way I guess like my dad would have looked at my generation, you know. I think that's totally understandable though, because if you look at these technologies that have come in, they've totally disrupted the previous version. Mm. And if you look at even just kind of, let's say, PCs uh, to what we're at now, to with like smartphones and <laughs> this next Web 3 thing is very scary. And I think... One of the other um, perspectives that I would share on that is if you think about this younger generation, the kind of millennials and Gen Z, um, and especially the the really young generation, and what I mean is those who were born kind of the late, let's say 2008, 9, 10, 11, I call them the iPad generation. Mm. It's the kids that you would see their parents allowing them to sit on iPads from the age of like three. Yeah. What I find super interesting is that as these kids age up, the only frame of reference that they've had in their early childhood years has been one of that of a square rectangular screen. Mm. And I think that they that that's one of the big reasons why, actually. If you look, I think it was the iPad brought out, was it 2010, 2011? Sounds about right, run, yeah. run about that time there. Those kids that were using that technology, as they've aged up now... Like 2016, 2017s when Roblox went boom. Yeah. And that's because those kids then became technically proficient to start playing these types of games. Wow. And their frame of reference was always technology focused. They were already in this technology world. Yeah. And therefore, that was just an extension of themselves yeah. and a virtual representation of themselves in a Roblox environment. That's really nice. So this is great. I didn't plan on talking about this today, but <laughs> I don't know if you remember Miniclip. Yes. <laughs> oh man, I spent way too much time on that when I was younger. So that was pro- that was dial-up days. So like Miniclip yeah. was like uh, it was a website where you could play lots of in-browser games. I remember there was like a monkey snowball game. I remember Club Penguin was massive, and there was a game called RuneScape. I found RuneScape through Miniclip. Yep. And I went hard into RuneScape, mm-hmm. and I was thinking about it the other day, and I was like, RuneScape was kind of like V one. Roblox or like V1 Minecraft, this open world where you made your own character, you accumulated all this kind of like virtual stuff. And if you were like me, it became more real and more important than the actual world outside of that. And dude, like in RuneScape, I feel like I literally learned so many life skills. Like it sounds embarrassing, but like I was plugged into a metaverse. Like I had friends that I hung out with virtually 
in RuneScape for like crazy long amounts of time every single day. Mm-hmm. I learned how to buy and sell things on RuneScape. I learned the importance of like saving your money on RuneScape because I would go bankrupt. I was hacked. I was scammed. I was blackmailed. I had people install Trojan virus software on my computer and steal stuff from it. Like, you know what I mean? Like I then set up like a bot farm and started selling like RuneScape gold for real life money. And I was like, dude, this is kind of like, what a large majority of children are experiencing today. Like I was mm-hmm. a niche. I was the nerdiest of the nerds. So I was the 1%. And now I've kind of realized that like that has in some ways become the majority. Mm-hmm. And I look at everybody playing Roblox. I'm like, these dudes are learning how to like interact with each other. They're flirting over Roblox. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's – and they're doing it all in this kind of virtual environment. And the portal into that is the black squares, as you talked about. Very, very, very different from, say, like their great grannies. Correct. You know, who never had the black square. Okay, television was a thing, but television was kind of like uh, you were a consumer. Yes. You were never, it was a one-way conversation. Yeah. Whereas, you know, okay, RuneScape is, is prehistoric, you know, in comparison to nowadays. But I just think it's fascinating that like, take the same child and put them 100 years ago, they maybe would have been playing with Lego. Mm-hmm. And now they're playing with Lego in Minecraft in a fully immersive experience. They're not wearing VR glasses, but they may as well be. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think that that's it though. Like that that's their reality. Yeah. Like I even think in terms of how do younger kids socialize nowadays? Typically, it would be you come home from school and you jump on Fortnite or you jump on Minecraft or Roblox, and that's how you chat. Yeah. It's almost like gaming is their new form of social media. Absolutely. And Yes, instead of going and hanging out in the mall, as we would say, yeah. you would go and, or you go would and meet, meet the boys for a game of football yeah, down, yeah, down yeah. the green. Exactly. Where, you know, yeah, but that, that's what I mean. I think you and I have grown up, though, in this... We're, I think we're very lucky because we've almost seen these two perspectives. Like I still, I still remember carrying around my MP3 player. Yeah. Or do you know what I mean? Or you know, Bluetooth and songs to each other, like that. That or even having my CD player and having my earphones in and walking around. Like, yeah. but if you think how 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 fast technology has oh. has evolved since then, and and what my but my real key point here is, I really think people, I really need to stress this is this younger generation know no differently. Mm-hmm. This is their frame of reference. Yeah. They haven't had the same experiences that I'd say even our generation and those before it have had on the world. So they genuinely do see the world through this technological lens. Mm-hmm. Is it good? Is it bad? That's a discussion to be had for the future. Yeah. As you just said there, if I'm hearing you correctly, and I would agree with this, Maddie, like you learned so many valuable skills from grinding Dude, RuneScape. 100%. So there is a lot of positives there. There's an argument to be made. My entrepreneurial spark was found in the flames by selling bronze armor and RuneScape. <laughs> but I, I wouldn't disagree with that. I wouldn't disagree with that because yeah. there are serious skills you actually learn about currency, how yeah. to buy and sell, identifying uh-huh. high value items, Absolutely. how to communicate and trade. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There are valuable skills. How to negotiate. Skills. Yes. Which, yeah. which is probably more that you learn than you probably learn in school anyway. Yeah, so yeah. maybe we should all just play video games. But... <laughs> But I think I think maybe to to go back just a step here, and we'll maybe jump back into the Roblox and the, and the virtual worlds in a second. But I think if you look at the metaverse, like some of the characteristics of the metaverse is that it is a it's um, it's how would I best describe it? There's a level of synchronicity, right? Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is you and I can be able to plug into the metaverse 
and interact with each other in real time, yeah. experience real time events in the virtual world. That's one thing. And then I also think that the second big thing is that it's persistent. It doesn't just switch off. These are these, when I say the metaverse, let's say as a singular form here, all encompassing all the many worlds that are being sure. created at the minute. Yeah will always be on. And it very much is like that Ready Player One. And spoiler alert here, if you have not worked, watched that <laughs> Ready Player One, but obviously they realize at the end that they need to turn off the Oasis for two days. Yeah. Because if you're hooked into these digital worlds for your whole, let's say, existence, mm -hmm. I don't think that's going to end up well for a primitive brain. I don't think we've evolved to be hooked into this metaverse, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. That's one of my fears. But going back into... The Roblox and the kind of early, let's say, early experiences of children nowadays. I think it's an interesting discussion because if you look at how they represent themselves, right? And this, we can maybe tie in here a bit into the gaming side, right? And what metaverse actually means for gaming. So children nowadays are spending, as I said, a lot of time in these worlds, right? They're interacting, they're socializing, they're competing, they're building, they're doing all of these different activities. And I think for for children nowadays, like that's all they've ever known. Yeah. And and I think what I think is interesting is that as the next five to ten years kind of evolves in terms of the tools and technologies that are being built to facilitate these more immersive experiences their experiences in Web3 and in the metaverse, I think that they're only going to spend more and more time immersed in these experiences Absolutely. because that is their reality. Yeah. And my kind of fear of that is that this younger generation will become disconnected mm -hmm. and have a distorted sense of reality yeah. from what is real and what is virtual. Mm -hmm. I genuinely do have that concern. And I think that it is almost on us or those who are building the metaverse to get ahead of these issues. Mm. How do we take care of people's physical and mental health if they're spending more and more time in these types of worlds? We already know because we can see the impact of this through Web2 and social media. These devices are so much smarter than us. Yeah. They know how to tap into our, Dude, they can our play circuits. Like a fiddle, let's just be exactly. Honest. There's a very smart, powerful AI there yeah. that knows exactly what Maddie likes to watch. So yeah. when he's scrolling through YouTube, I know exactly. Mate, that sidebar is just juicy, juicy, juicy. It is. And you Would go you like down to the watch rabbit hole. Uh, do I have a choice when you offer something as tasty as that? <laughs> go to sleep. No way. <laughs> exactly. But we already know that these types of technologies exist. And we already know that we're prone to becoming, let's say, uh, we lose our inhibitions in a sense and are not able to actually step out of that world. Yeah. So if you think about that in Web 2, think about how much more difficult that's going to be in yeah. Web 3. Yeah. It's literally just dopamine, dopamine, dopamine on like an IV drip. Yeah. <laughs> like you're just connected all the time. And yeah. that's that's the thing that really worries me. Instead of just having hits like you do, like you get in, let's say, uh, social media where it's likes and you can kind of control it in a sense. Yeah. This is just you're hooked in yeah, 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 24-7. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like when you unhook though, what happens to your physical and mental state yeah. if you've been in a world that is literally, let's say, hyper-stimulated, mm -hmm. where it's these incredible experiences? Think of the Ready Player One that we're talking about now. When you step out of that virtual world where you can pretty much be who you want and do what you want and yeah. experience all these crazy things, your real life is going to seem pretty mundane. Do you know what actually is a really useful tool to explore this? I didn't expect to talk about this today. Is the movie Inception. 
There's a scene when you were talking about being plugged into the IV. Yeah. There's a really small scene in Inception. It's like around the sequence where the van's up in the air and everyone's flying around. But the, the, no, sorry, the guy that drives that van, he's like a Middle Eastern dude. And his business, I'm pretty sure, is to plug senior citizens into the dream world. And there's a scene where, like, he opens, like, the back of his shop and there's literally just, like, 30 old people lying there spending their retirement in the dream world because it's far better than reality. And I think that that is... I'm not against... I sound like I am, and on a lot of levels I am. I'm not against technology. But what I am against and what I am prepared to, like, take a pretty strong opinion on is whenever it becomes more attractive than the real world. Mm. Because... How do I say this delicately? I have witnessed breakdown of many families, breakdown of many marriages, breakdown of many uh, people's physical and mental health because the virtual reality became more important than the real world, quote unquote. And I've seen this in my own life time and time again. Same here. You know, your hand went up there too. And I think... It's this notion of dopamine, you know, is very, very close to my heart. I'm very interested in it as someone who is in recovery from addiction. And it's an issue I think we all have to wrestle with. Mm -hmm. I heard a great thing recently. I don't know if I've talked to you about this, where they talked about we are, there's a race, there's an arms race to the bottom of the brainstem where we are trying to go as fast as possible to deliver that dopamine in as frictionless as a way as we possibly can. And what that does to our actual brains, because the more dopamine we get, the less sensitive we become to it. Mm -hmm. So we need more. Mm -hmm. And then we can get dipped into a negative dopamogenic state so that we are actually suffering. And the only way to come back up to a level of baseline is more dopamine. And that's where addiction happens. And I think that is the actual biochemical mechanism for why the virtual world becomes more attractive than the the real world we did an, a, a, an episode on addiction in the mental health podcast mm-hmm. and the professor he mentioned that what how addiction hijacks the brain is it attaches so much meaning and so much value to the drug of choice that it becomes the utmost important thing in your life. Nothing else even comes close. It doesn't matter if it's your wife, doesn't matter if it's your kids, it doesn't matter if it's your community or your job or your work. This, when you become addicted, mm-hmm. you literally, your brain ascribes godlike status to whatever this thing is. And that's my fear because I just don't think we stand a chance against mechanisms that strong. So, whether AI is sentient or not, I don't really care. The reality is when we start to lose control and we're not in the driving seat, that's when I start to get worried. Yeah. That's, I think actually that's my opinion on this topic. Yeah. Here, I think you've put that so well and summarized that so well. Some of the work, I listened to the uh, Dr. Anna Lemke podcast <sighs> and the Dopamine Seesaw and uh, Dopamine Nation. And I think in, instead of us going into that in detail, but I just think dopamine is one of the most important molecules that we need to understand as human beings yeah and my fear for the metaverse is let's call it a drug let's say the metaverse is the drug if that drug is literally at the end of your fingertips mm. which it is already not yeah, if you think it about already this, is with, with social media it's not so, the future yeah yeah but i mean i'm talking about and i always need to caveat this when i say this it's a more immersive yeah 
version of it. It's like going from it's a souped up version like, of heroin. It's like, yeah. hey, dude, you yeah. thought heroin was good? We need to try heroin point three. <laughs> yeah, literally, yeah. heroin three point zero. Dude, that's good. We yeah. should use that for something. Heroin three point zero. Yeah, but that's 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 what it's going to be. That's like, your next time. You're going you're going you're going to go in there into that world. You can choose exactly what you want to do in that world, but you probably know what's going to be used for a lot of the time, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I know I know what most thirteen-year-olds yeah, use it for. Exactly, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But I, I think that's it. Like you, you're going to be able to create this alter, alternate state of reality where you are something else. Yeah. And it, but it goes back once again. If we look at me, my my statement is gaming is on the bleeding edge. A lot of these technological advancements, and the reason why I say that again is like, why do people game? Mm. A lot of the time, it is um, to do with boredom. Yeah, they're trying to get rid of or can't sit with their thoughts yeah. and want to escape it's, it's boredom and escapism that's a big two yeah they're bored and they want to escape the reality then there's competition challenge fun and social they're the other big motivators but i feel like that's just going to be an extension of the metaverse the same reasons why we do that oh i've had a shit day today now we just plug in the metaverse and yeah. lead a trip into you know battle here yeah, yeah go and conquest yeah, the crap go, out go of and conquest <laughs> a, an army whatever yeah like the, what, have you ever seen the movie gamer uh-uh. um i think it's is it Ru- it's uh, Ru- is it Russell Crowe? He's like a convict, and uh, the the long story short of it is where these prisoners um, are 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 being controlled by gamers essentially, but they are actually physically being controlled. Like oh, it's plugged snap. into like their spinal cord and stuff. But if they die in this actual skirmish, they die in real life. I like that. So. My, my one of the stupid ways in which this could evolve is something like that, yeah. where gamers are taking control of real people. It's very Black Mirror, yeah. I like it, yeah. No, that's the other one you didn't mention at the start there. <laughs> I wanted to bring up. I always think Black, Black Mirror, oh, that scares the shit out of me. Yeah, that yeah. is the worst of what this technology could be and can be yeah. and may very well become. Yeah. Um, but I think that's another interesting thing there is like there's so many different iterations of the metaverse and as we've been saying from the start it is already here mm-hmm. and the genie's out of the bottle in my opinion this is here to stay and it's in the next five to ten years it's only going to get bigger and bigger yeah like sure. i think if you look at the mind investment i was listening to matthew ball phenomenal thought leader in the space by the way he's got a book coming out uh, this this month i think Sweet. um and he is I would say probably the go-to person if you want to learn about the metaverse. So Matthew Ball, everyone can write that one down. Um, Put it in the show notes. Yeah. I'm writing it down so it will make it yeah. up in the show notes. <laughs> I'll give him a nice wee plug there. But he he's written a thing called the Metaverse Primer. So he writes these amazing essays on like esports gaming, uh, games publishers. He has a, he actually has a background, I think, in uh, like Hollywood and films and production. So he really understands a lot of the kind of, let's say, cinematics and the storytelling. But he's also a really good technologist and he understands the technology and how it's evolved and how that's influencing kind of culture and society. But then, yeah, he comes into the metaverse now. So... Yeah, I think I think with with kind of his viewpoints and perspectives as well, like we 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 have to get ahead of this. That's that's what it comes it comes down to, in my opinion. I think that this is only going to continue to develop. And the other big thing to be aware of is, I think last year there was something like thirty five billion worth of thirty four billion or thirty five billions worth of VC funding in space. I think uh, this year there's earmarked 
two already been raised or are going to be closed, something between like 120 and 200 billion. So one of the things I would say is, although we're experiencing as we sit today, which is July uh, 2022, although we're experiencing a downturn in the economic kind of markets, especially in kind of crypto and the NFT market, and like search volumes of massive went down. Like I think the NFT hype train has now come to a halt. Yeah. And the shit projects are getting, you know, um, kind of pushed out of the industry and, and those who are real and true and creating value are staying, which is good. But I think what we're seeing is the value of some of the assets are depreciating, which is fine. But the amount of money being invested into the space and the VCs placing their bets because they believe this is the next big thing. Yeah. When you have a large amount of funding and incredibly talented people moving in to solve these problems, two to four years time, you're going to get some killer applications. Oh, yeah. And I think one of the challenges we have at the minute with kind of Web3 is that there aren't many killer applications out there. And I think... We're so young in many ways in terms of the technology that we're still there's still a lot of teeth in problems to try to figure out. There's a lot of issues with scams, securities, rug pulls in NFT kind of worlds. Um, there's a massive lack of education about how to actually get into Web three, how to you know be an active participant of these types of worlds. The user experience is pretty poor. Like, I don't know if you've ever tried to buy an NFT before. Like, you have to go on to, like, an OpenSea, which is an NFT marketplace. You have to have a hardware, or you have to have a wallet, a, a wallet which could be, like, a MetaMask if you're using Ethereum. Um, and Ethereum is one of the cryptocurrencies. You then have to have enough Ethereum in your wallet to then buy the NFT. <laughs> and then you've got to pay a thing called a gas fee yeah. on, on the chain. Yeah. And then finally you have your NFT and then you've got to have probably a hardware wallet as well because yeah. you're probably going to get ripped off and scammed. Like I've got a few friends who board apes and I know like that's prevalent. People having all their NFT stolen, which could be like six, seven figures worth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you need to have security and compliance there. Yeah. My point being is that the current user experience of the Web3 technology tools is pretty poor. Yeah. So in order for this to become wider adopted, and when I say this, I mean people working with and participating in the metaverse type worlds we need to have number one better user experience two we need better education which in my opinion if people are better able to understand who are these tools and technologies for which is what the developers and creators need to consider and what value is it actually creating for them if they can better articulate that value proposition and create true utility and value of these tools technologies and applications then i think that will increase demand and then on the demand side, we need to have the right amount of, let's say, um, access accessibility and availability. And what I mean by that is if the metaverse does require things like VR, AR, these types of technologies, well, they need to be in such a way where you have a variable price point for the really expensive headsets to the everyday ones. Yeah. And then it needs to be accessible in the sense that, you know, there needs to be developments in, um, you know, compute speed, graphics cards all these other things that allow us to actually be able to interact in real time in these worlds. There's some of the things that need to improve for this to become more widely adopted. Mm -hmm. And the other big thing is like, what I think anyway at the minute, is a lot of brands, a lot of people are interested in the space. They hear the buzzwords, the NFTs, the board apes. You hear about these crazy events happening, people making millions um, in these worlds. But it very much has been a 
massive rise, massive fall. Mm -hmm. And that kind of has been similar with what's happened in a few of the different kind of crypto bull and bear markets. And I think that this one is different though. It genuinely is because I think because of some different uh, external factors such as COVID, such as our shift into the digital world, I think the development of these tools and technologies have increased and therefore our time spent in these worlds will just become even greater. But in the background, these tools and technologies are being built. So in the next five to 10 years, maybe, we'll see these more immersive worlds being created. And the accessibility for us as everyday people to be a part of these worlds will definitely become much greater. But I think the accessibility piece is really, really interesting. And this is where like I've totally got it wrong in the past because I come from really quite an old-fashioned way of thinking now where, you know, I was brought up, okay, you want to play a game on the Xbox, you need an Xbox, <laughs> number one, and you need the disc, and then you need the internet to connect you, and you need your TV and everything. <coughs> and now I'm just, like, continually blown away, like, not just with with gaming, but, like, a whole bunch of other things. Everything is so frictionless. You don't actually need to own very many things anymore. Mm. All you need to own is, like, the portal, and everything else is taken care for you. Like, the fact that, like, you can jump on Fortnite without really having anything or you can jump on Warzone <coughs> without even paying for stuff yep. like, it's just like this is so bizarre to me or like I'll like de-gamify it for a second here like I've started using a, a piece of podcast recording software for all of my remote stuff for me and the customers mm-hmm. uh, called Riverside really elegant really beautiful 100% cloud based 100% cloud based I don't download anything. I just access it through Google Chrome. The guests access it through Google Chrome. Everything's recorded directly to the cloud. You're talking like eight gigabyte files that never touch my hard drive. And I can edit the episode 100% without downloading a thing. Mm -hmm. I click one button. It takes me to an editor. All the editing can be done. And then it gets automatically pushed to YouTube without ever downloading the thing. And that is like, I know it sounds really boring, but like that is revolutionary for me. (laughs) Because like, you you don't understand like how many steps that skips mm-hmm. and it just seems like so bizarre to me and so if that's happening for me in my niche little kind of like podcast world i just can't imagine how they're going to really frictionlessify the whole process mm-hmm. for everybody involved to the point where like i've seen like you can maybe speak to this like i was talking to a, a dad the other day and he was telling me how like he he, he like rents his his playstation or something now yeah like, you can do that like, what yeah. the heck like he pays like a certain amount every single month mm-hmm. and you just get like unlimited games and you get the con- the console and it was not expensive i was like what type of a world is this this is mad i yeah. saw sky i got an advert from sky the other day uh-huh. and they brought out this thing called sky glass and it's this, it's a similar model where they're like look just pay a little bit more in your sky subscription and we'll just you you can rent the tv mm-hmm. so you don't even need to have a TV anymore, really. You just need to pay the fee and you get everything. Mm-hmm. It's so it's so crazy. Yeah, I think speaking on that, like a lot of the time, the business models for, let's take an example there, like you said, PlayStation or even Microsoft with Xbox, they don't make money in the hardware. Yeah. They make money in the software. Yeah. That's the key. And, and now, like, they don't even make money on the games. Yeah. They make money on the stuff they sell inside the games. Well, here, that's a really nice point is to go in here, right? So the gaming industry is worth $178 billion, nice. right? Which is bigger than film and music industry combined. Damn, right? great start. But here's something interesting. So I think, was it in 2019? I think it was worth $150 billion in 2019. And $93 billion's worth came from in-game purchases. No way. Right? 
But here's something even more interesting. So if you think about free-to-play, yeah. that really revolutionized a lot of these mobile games oh. and, and even like the likes of Fortnite and stuff like that there. Yeah. Now, what's really interesting about that, typically in them, free-to-play games, between 1% and 5% of your users will actually pay money for in-game items. Okay, so you're getting a lot of freeloaders there. <laughs> ways, but no, they're obviously adding to the value ecosystem yeah, 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 in many yeah. other ways. But 1% of those paying users will make up 80% of a game's revenue. No way. Yeah. Super users. Super users, yeah. So if you think about the likes of, and this goes back to our very early conversation about these kids. Yeah. Right. And there's a few things here. I think maybe this might be a good time. I'll have to chat about like, what does the metaverse actually mean for gaming? Okay. Like what, what does the future of it look like? And what is the kind of blockchain technology enable gamers and game developers to actually do? So if we go back to, let's say, the example, I quite like Fortnite or College. College is my game. You know that, man. I'm a COD guy, yeah. too. So maybe that's not what College I jumped right? on COD yeah. 4. Oh. Really, really, really got into COD 5. I mean, World at War was my COD. Like, you know, every yeah. other COD since I'm like, not my COD. You know what oh, I mean? No. I stopped playing COD this year. Would you believe? I hated, I hated it that much. Yeah. Um, but it's just become so Fortnite-y. It but, has. But it, that's the market. But that is the market. But yeah. I suppose... Anyway. So if we look, if we look at, like, okay, how, how do gamers interact with games today? And, and the game publishers, right? So typically if we use, let's say, a World of Warcraft example or or whatever example you want, right? You'll grind your character up to, and grind, by the way, means just play the game for copious amounts of time. <laughs> if anyone doesn't know that gaming term. Hashtag no life. Yeah, hashtag no life, yeah. Which is Maddie and I when we were young. <laughs> you know, I worked out um, between the ages of, uh, I think it was four and 18. Yeah. I, had pl- I had clocked in 12,000 hours. Do you know what? I need to go back and look at mine yeah. because I would not be surprised if I was... No, I was including like Pokemon, Yellow, and oh, like everything. everything. But yeah. yeah. There'd be some scary data there. Yeah, it's really scary. Um, but yeah, like typically how, how we would have, let's say, how we would have interacted with these types of games when we were younger is that typically we'd play a game. You'd have a character. You'd grind that game for as long as possible to get it to the highest level. If you were great at the game, you'd be able to unlock like different skins, different guns, different yeah. emblems, whatever it may be. So you could then cooler stuff to increase cool your stuff. status within the game. Exactly. Yeah. Which, if we take a wee side note, then here in this one, why does that matter to us, Matty? Why does it matter? Dominance hierarchy. Yes, built into the human psyche. It is. We want to be on top. Correct. We want to crush people under our feet. Correct. We want them to bow down and worship us. It's why we buy BMWs. Exactly. <laughs> but it's true though. Like why 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 do we why do we pursue these things? Like such as if we look at the in-game side of things, like why do we buy certain skins? Uh-huh. Why do we try to complete certain challenges to get that reward? It's all about social signaling. Yeah. And it's all about the identification with that item or the the virtualization of our identities. Mm-hmm. And just the same way, for example, that you may buy a Ferrari or you may wear a Rolex, you're signifying some form of status in yeah. the physical world. Yeah. These kids, all they've ever known is their virtual identity in that virtual world. They represent themselves through avatars. Mm-hmm. And if you've seen the ones in Roblox, like little Lego characters, if you've seen the Fortnite ones, you've got like Iron Man run the boat now because they've done a like, partnership there with like uh, Marvel and stuff. But basically we're representing ourselves in different ways in the virtual world and Part of having these avatars is that you can put on skins, you can get guns, you can get cosmetic items, et cetera, et cetera. Instead of buying a Gucci bag in real life, you'll buy a digital equivalent for your character. You can actually buy a digital Gucci bag and they were oh, going for more expensive than the actual physical Gucci bags. 
So I mean, it's it's easy to like be like, "Ha ha ha, you're stupid." But then, like, if we no. track if we track what you've been saying, yes, like kids are spending more time. Not just kids, right? People are spending more time socializing in virtual environments mm-hmm. than they are in the real world. Correct. So it makes sense that they would almost value the digital Gucci bag more than the in, than in the real life one. Because they're like, if they had a real life Gucci bag, they're like, well, no one would see this. <laughs> yeah, but that's but that's the whole point. Like, it is quite sad, and obviously, like. I think I've been on my own journey with my own ego and like how I kind of fit into this world and you know I don't use social media and stuff and I think it's been one of the best decisions I've ever made but I think it's not I don't want to say sad because that's unfair to people who actually use Instagram for other reasons but a lot of the time we use apps like that there platforms like that to showcase a certain version of ourselves it's the curation of identity it is correct and often it's curating something that is different than reality correct or you're trying to project something to hide something else. Correct. I'm speaking from personal experience. I'm not even throwing shots at anybody else. Yeah, exactly. No, but I, like, the reason why I said, like, you know, I, I stepped off it like four years ago on Instagram, but I was the exact same. Yeah. You're portraying a certain lifestyle, but then you got ourselves the deeper question. Why would you do that? Mm-hmm. Why? I don't know. Like what, why, why do we do them things? Well, let's go back for a second to RuneScape. This blew my mind. I don't know. This is probably conspiracy theory level, but I'm, I'm, I'm there for it, right? What does RuneScape, if you spell it out, what does it stand for? run escape <laughs> right yeah and you mentioned a phrase earlier that i use all the time when i talk about this sort of stuff and it's escaping reality yeah and the reason why i have got lost in things like pornography and things like video games and that whole virtual world is because my reality was so painful that i sought a means to escape that mm-hmm. and like any good drug it's so comforting mm-hmm. and it's so soothing in the short term and it eats you alive in the long term. And so my that is back to my concern with all this is I think a lot of what's going on is short-term relief from long-term pain. Yep. And without turning into this turning into like a broicism chat, like I do think that the only way to actually make long-term progress is by going through a very, very painful journey yeah. to actually deal with stuff. But the reality is most of us are walking around and let's talk about kids because it's easier i think most kids are walking around without any sort of guides to go on that journey mm-hmm. because their parents are are dealing with their own stuff correct their parents are maybe not even present for because they've got their own addictions their own issues or they're working so much because they're just trying to keep everything moving and you know put food on the table and there's no gandalfs there's no people to actually show kids the way through these longer painful journeys and so like where are the kids going to go the kids are are are, you ever read gabor mate's book haven't read it but i'm familiar with his work oh he wrote a book called hold on to your kids right Mm -hmm. and his whole hypothesis in the book is that society has shifted from an elder orientated culture to a peer orientated culture And he says back in the day through all of the kind of like initiation processes and like the rites of passages that young people would have went through, they would have been like initiated into adulthood from the elders in the tribe. And that sounds very historic, but like even in like recent times, you know, like 
whether it was through like a religious context or like a farming context, you know, you had a very clear pathway. You had achievements that you would unlock. You know, you would complete a small quest and all of a sudden, well done, congratulations, young warrior. You can now drive the blue tractor (laughs) in the real world. And so there was a sense of progression. There was a sense of moving forward. You got more and more responsibility. And I love Peterson's work on responsibility and how important it is for young people. And people were being moved along a very clear, kind of almost gamified mm-hmm. system. But they were moving them towards maturity. They were moving them towards being able to handle more pain effectively. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's, it's, it's a quite a cynical way of looking, but I think it's just the reality of human life. Life's very, very, very hard. And we give people a clear pathway to learn how to manage that. And then their role then became to uh, be the guides for the next generation. Passing on the... Yeah, it's passing on the tools. And I just think that, like, I know for our generation, I know for the generations that have come since, there is a severe lack of that. I totally agree with that. And I think, where else are people going to go? And so Gabor's book is basically about, right, the elder system is gone, Mm -hmm. and in the vacuum without elders, we turn to our peers. Mm -hmm. And when we turn to our peers, it's the blind leading the blind. Yeah. (laughs) And I just think, you know, we're all hanging out in these virtual spaces, whether it be you know, MSM messenger after school in the 2000s or whether it be Roblox after school today. Yeah. And that is an elderless environment. Yeah. There's no gray hair there. Yeah. And that whole world is being pushed forward by people like you and me, young professionals who are pushing this next wave forward. And there's very little gray hair in the space. There's very little accountability there's yeah. very little kind of like, you know, 90-year-old granny who knows and understands how the real world works, mm-hmm. ringing the alarm bells and being like, oh, this is all fun and exciting and flashy, but actually we're neglecting a key part of humanity here. And I think this might hurt us in the long run. Mm-hmm. I think I think on that, and here that's so well put, by the way, like I've actually never heard someone say that. And I've kind of had that realization that it's so true. We, we do live in that elderless society. And I think if you look at Asian cultures, there is so much significance given to those who are elderly to be in positions of where, where they're actively integrated into community still. I'm just going to give one more wee bit on that and then yeah. I'll let you go because I'm pent up here, right? Yeah, go, let it go, man. Uh, if you look at politicians, yes, they're very young. Mm-hmm. Like genuinely, genuinely speaking, and I mean young in terms of like under the age of 50 and 60. Mm-hmm. If you look at like CEOs and like C-suite level uh, leaders and companies they're also very young yeah. this is a modern phenomenon mm-hmm. like it used to be that you only really started to like get into your stride whenever you hit 60 and now you hit 60 and you're literally thrown out and the reason why people have been thrown out is because the technology has adapted so quickly they're unable to keep up and I mean like you have no problem with this I imagine like you look at old people with a sense of disdain in the technological sense where you're like, oh, you have no idea what you're, you've no idea what you're doing. You've become completely irrelevant to this new world that's emerging. And actually, there's no space for you here. And because they've been shunted out, we've lost something really important, I think. Mm-hmm. And Asian cultures, I think, are a really interesting example of that. Okay, and now I'm finished. No, you're, you're, you're totally true. And actually, just on that, um, gaming is a really good example. So two things I wanted to pick on from your previous kind of talk rant. there. <laughs> no, rant. It's <laughs> <laughs> one way, but I know that. No, it's, but it is, no, in all seriousness, like it is actually a really good point. Um, and I think having a lack of a mentor or elder figure in your life um, can be very detrimental, especially just in terms of like you seeking affirmation and to be seen. 
which is all, all that we really want at a fundamental human psychological level is to be validated, to be seen, to be heard. Um, in gaming, there are no grey hairs, let's mm. say. If you genuinely look at esports, the industry I work in, I can think of a handful of people over the age of like 60 yeah, who are yeah. in positions of authority. It is very much a young tech savvy. Yeah. Um, when I say young, I'm talking about still like in your 40s. Sure, yeah. Um, which is young. Which is young. <laughs> if, which, if you think about from the perspective yeah, of I, humanity. I, I think it is. I, I think it is anyway. Um, but, but, it, but, but it is very much, I'd say, it, it lacks the elders. And going back to your point, where do these children turn to in terms of their leaders and their authorities? I can tell you where to... Streamers, yeah, to influencers. Dude, Gandalf has been replaced by Logan Paul. Yeah, Gandalf's been replaced by <laughs> instead of grey hair, we've got blue hair. We've got yeah. ninja. that's what we have. We have ninja. Um, but that's so true, though. Like, yeah. and, and like, obviously, within my role within G Science, what I was previously doing, um, what I'm still doing it now, just just under Adimas. You know, we work with streamers, we work with esports players, and they're just trying to figure out themselves. They've got the same pressures, the challenges. And but however they're acting as role models for this younger generation. They're twenty five. Yeah, and they're like and like even like us now, like we're still very young in life, and that's yeah. one thing I can say in the last five years, the one I've learned has been crazy through experience. Yeah, and, and you, you think about your relationship with Molly, your partner, hundred percent. Like there's a there's a Hebrew proverb that talks about iron sharpening iron, mm. and it's just like two pieces of metal smashing into each other and ripping off and and smoothing over the rough edges, mm. and like. You know, things like marriage, things like parenting, things like holding down a job over the course of 20, 30 years, that's like the long form character building that gives the elders the ability to actually have what we call wisdom to pass down to other people. And you just don't have that at 25. Like I'm 27. You don't have it. You don't. You don't. And and honestly, like you can't replace experience. Hmm. You can read as much as you want, but actually living something is totally different. And that's why I think age and experience, well, not necessarily. Age isn't directly correlated with experience. You can be older and still not be experienced, quote unquote, let's say. But I definitely think there is a very significant role in society for mentors, for elders to pass this on to the next generation. Going back to what you said, though, I feel like there is a massive lack of education, understanding, and the tools to be able to live in this modern digitalized world. That's my fear. The, the technology is inevitable. The metaverse is already here, but the more immersive metaverse is inevitable. Mm -hmm. We're going to continue to spend more and more time in there. My call to action for everyone is how can we become more self-aware mm -hmm. about our own physical and mental state, our connectedness with one another as human beings, and our connectedness to this reality the real reality, mm -hmm. not the virtual reality. Yeah, And I feel like we need to, once again, get ahead of this technological development because if you've got this super complex, let's say, smart AI or whatever technology it takes the form of that is on the other end of this interaction, of course it's going to beat you every time. It's going to know what levers to pull to get you back in. It's going to keep you hooked in. So we need to be better equipped to be masters of our own mind. Mm -hmm. to know what our place is in this metaverse, how we use it to our advantage and not allow it to be masters of us. That's my opinion on it. Yeah. And I think, like, I never actually thought about it in this term, but, like, this is what you've dedicated your life to the last few years, is you have kind of humbly held up your hands and say, look, 
I know I don't have the grey hair and the beard. <laughs> I've any hair left, Matty, after the last, uh, last five years. <laughs> but you have stood in the gap in a world that is Gandalf scarce. Mm. And you have stepped in in a very, very important role to try and help gamers specifically take care of their mental and their physical health. And the elegant way you've done that is by through the prom the promise of like performance, mm-hmm. right? And that's great. You got to you got to sell the cure. You have to. And performance is ultimately that's the most important thing. I'm bought into that. Esports are the athletes of the future. I don't think traditional athletics is gonna is gonna go away, but I think you're gonna see the audience shift massively. We're already seeing that. Let's fast forward two generations and let's see what the Olympics really looks like. That's a topic for another time. But I think. The low-hanging fruit here is like the the biggest danger with the virtual world is you're not using your prehistoric body and brain the way it was meant to. So you have to artificially go out of your way to make sure instead of going and hunting like three deer every single day and deadlifting uh, like logs of trees to turn into a house, you have to go and you have to go to the gym or you have to go and you have to get 30 minutes of sunlight exposure whenever you wake up and you need to go outside. You need to schedule walks to get, you know, it's not happening automatically anymore, so you have to go out of your way to artificially do that to make sure that you don't literally <laughs> evaporate as a human and end up sick or depressed or suicidal or whatever. Yeah. So let's let's talk about that a little bit. Like, what have you done to date in this world? Why is it important? Mm-hmm. Well, before we jump into that, to answer that question... One of the reasons why it's going to be so difficult in the real world is because of dopamine again. Yeah. If you've drained all your dopamine in the virtual world, you know dopamine is the molecule that you need for drive to do things. If you've used it all up, how are you going to do that in the physical world? That's the thing that worries me. Yeah. And if and if we are hardwired to seek pleasure and avoid pain, and this metaverse is going to be immersive and pleasurable, yeah. then there's going to be no pain, and that's, that seesaw is going to be out of whack. Yeah. And that's my big fear. Mm-hmm. We're going to become zombies literally like the matrix yeah I, I i and i seriously think like people are maybe like people are unconsciously living their lives hooked into this digital world and maybe not knowing the effects that it has because the reality that they know is just chaos or it's just the same monotonous routine i believe that you're born twice in life or you wake up twice let's say the first time you're physically born and the second time is when you actually realize your consciousness mm-hmm. and that may sound a bit like kind of esoteric and spiritual but I seriously do mean that. Like, yeah, like my own journey, obviously f- through spirituality, has been pretty epic in the sense. And the challenges that I've had and the growth I've had have all been from being aware. Mm-hmm. And that's what we need to start with. How can we make people more aware? Yeah. So going, going back to what you wanted to talk about there in terms of the work that I've done in, in esports. Um, I mean, so my background is in sport and exercise science. I've always loved sport my whole entire life. May that be, and maybe I changed sport there to competition. <laughs> I love competition. Yeah. If it's who can run fastest, who can hold their breath the longest. Who can get the highest kill streak in college? Oh, that, that was definitely me. Who <laughs> <laughs> can get the most nuclears? Um, but no, I, I've always enjoyed competition. May that be in a virtual world, i.e., you know, our, our gaming esports sense, or if it's in the physical. And I think that's always been a part of my identity. And, when I was younger then, I had to make the choice what I wanted to do in terms of pursuing my kind of career, my passion, which at that stage seems very, very big and heavy. 
Ross, you've got to choose this, you've got to choose that. And as we know now, after five years, did I ever think that doing sports science would lead me to working with gamers and doing all these other crazy things I'm doing now? Certainly not. But for me, I have always had health and well-being as part of my identity. And if you speak to any of my friends, they always take the piss about me kind of training and being in shape. And there's some funny videos of, of my friends taking them back out of me. But I, I always knew if you were to ask them about like kind of defining me, it would always be something around health and fitness and wellness and performance yeah. and, and stuff like that there. And, you know, my own journey then, you know, I, I studied Loughborough and I did sport and exercise science there, which I had an amazing time. I was very lucky then to have the opportunity after graduating from Loughborough to come back home and to set up my company, G-Science. And this is where we met, obviously, Molly, in the Ormo Bass, but I took part in the Ignite and I Accelerator that you mentioned earlier, which is led by some awesome people and Chris McKellen, um, Ian Brown, and Tristan Watson in support of Invest in I and everyone else in the Ormo Bass here. And the amazing people in Northern Ireland who are helping us grow the startup ecosystem, which I will forever be grateful for. So I spent my time here and that's really where I start learning my craft, my tools and building, trying to build a business. And it's hard to summarize the last four years because as you know, so much has happened, but really in the context of kind of the sports and the metaverse, my goal was to help improve the health, well-being, and performance of gamers. And when I set up G-Science initially, what I realized was that the participation rates in gaming were going through the roof, right? <laughs> like, I mean, absolutely not some of the stats. Like, there's 100 million active players in ranked in League of Legends, right? And only 0.001% of them make a pro, which is about 1,000 professional players. I seen that the prize pools were going through the roof as well, like Dota 2 International, $42 million prize pool. It's insane, <laughs> the difference between first and second place. For League? No, for Dota 2. Oh, for Dota, yeah. Yeah, for Dota 2. But for League as well, like, talk about, like, viewership rates or viewership numbers. Like, 99 million people watched, tuned in live to the Grand Finals, which is epic. So, <laughs> you think about, you've got increase in player numbers, you've got increase in viewership, and you've got increase in prize pools and money, right? So, typically, when you follow that trend and that blueprint, teams and athletes are always then saying, okay, how can we get a chunk of that? Which, historically speaking, if you look at traditional sports teams are looking for the quote-unquote competitive edge mm. and the marginal gains to be able to enable them to be the best. And just a quick little kind of like visual for this or like a metaphor for this. I remember I did a series with Mary Peters and Mary Peters talked about her Olympic training versus mm -hmm. Olympic training today. Okay. And she was saying things like, you know, we didn't even drink water. Like nobody ever thought that it was important to like have water with us. She said like, you know, people hardly even trained. Like they, she, people would look at her funny if she like went out for a run for recreation. She was like, because that just didn't happen. Fast forward, you know, I can't remember how long it's been, but let's just call it at least 40 years. Mm -hmm. Like totally different world because that level of competition has forced everybody's performance and intentionality to go through the roof. Yeah. And I think that we see that in gaming, like a Call of Duty tournament, like, I don't know, 10 years ago, you know, people kind of would have been doing it like a wee bit more like, oh, I'm a plumber and I also play Call of Duty the same way. Like I'm a plumber and I'm also like a professional rugby player. Yeah. And now like that just doesn't happen. You need to be all in, fully committed. And you're, you've dedicated your life to it the same way an Olympian today would dedicate it to their, their craft or their sport of choice. But a big part of that though, is the fact that there was a professionalism in the sport, mm. which enabled people to train and live like professionals. Oh, they had the means to. Yeah, yeah. they had the means to yeah. support that. As you were going back to your point, like it was no longer like a semi-pro thing or a hobby. 
like you were also just an unbelievable athlete at the same time. <laughs> it was like you now have the skills and the funding to be able to live that lifestyle to pursue that dream and that goal. I think it's very similar in professional esports. So like the average salary, I think it was two years ago the stat was for the uh the North American League of Legends League is something like three hundred and twenty thousand dollars for a League of Legends player. Nice. Average salary, which is not too bad. It's obviously not the same, you know, footballers getting paid out in the week. Sure. However Just wait. Just wait. Just wait. Just just wait, exactly. It is definitely getting bigger. And and I think it's important here also to mention that esports as an industry is still very, very small. It's only worth one point eight billion, which in comparison to the wider gamer gaming industry, which is 178 billion, is still just a drop in the ocean. So there's a lot of growth there still to be had. And many, many of the time as well, esports tends to be the kind of on-ramp or almost beachhead into the wider games industry for some of the, let's say, traditional sporting people, um, leading with that competition again. And then opening into more recreational type of games. So, yeah, I think the the interesting thing is as gaming has now become more and more, let's say, competitive and professional, people are pursuing that competitive edge. Um, one of the big challenges that you have with gamers in particular is that they don't self-identify as an athlete. So we've mm-hmm. we've coined the term esports athlete, which actually is quite problematic sometimes. Yeah, because gamers don't see themselves as athletes and therefore don't adopt athletic behaviors or athlete like behaviors. They see themselves as competitors. Athletic players. is that the word? Athletic. That's lovely. Yeah, I would say athletic behaviors. I call them, in my opinion, right. I think they're cognitive athletes. Oh yeah. I'd oh, we've st- talked about chess yeah. players before. Oh yeah. yeah well, yeah, we yeah, talked yeah. about in the was it. Uh, in our sauna podcast like the age of the cognitive athlete or the cognitive performer like I seriously do believe that and it's true if you look at the stats uh, in terms of the cognitive testing that they do like all the esports athletes are off the charts over big biceps (laughs) (laughs) well I mean if you've seen Pasha biceps one of the one of the esports players Oh, here, you can go check him out after this. <laughs> he's got both. The man's shredded. He's an animal. Um, there are some anomalies in esports and gaming uh, as well, I will say, who definitely break the gamer's stereotype. physical improves the cognitive. That's oh, of course. Look, mind, body, soul. Yeah, man. It's all connected. Yeah. If if you're physically well uh, and mentally well, well, in my opinion, you need to be, you can never achieve optimal peak performance unless you've got all the cogs spinning together. If one of the cogs is broken, the engine shuts down. Absolutely. And that's that's my opinion. So, to kind of give you a long story short, the last four years and some of the learnings that we've had and where I kind of see the future going on this, East, like East, esports is only going to get bigger and bigger, right? And there's going to be more funding. Um, there's going to be more opportunities, more pathways created um, to allow people to pursue this as a viable career. And then also just to be clear, the ways in which you can make money within gaming now are either make the games, mm-hmm. um, play the games professionally or stream the games. Yeah, They're the big three. Yeah. Um, we can maybe go and talk about them going back in the blockchain and stuff in a wee minute. But how I kind of see game, gamers um, now is that, you know, they've got the regime of, if you're playing pro, right, you're you're getting up at like 10 a.m., maybe 10.30, or some of the players I work with, 10.55, rolling out of bed, doing your first like strategy meeting at like 11 a.m. to 12, have a bit of breakfast, a bit of lunch, and then you're doing your first scrim. And scrim is like your training practice. You know, if you're going to go to soccer and do a training session, it's kind of like that. I said soccer. <laughs> I love you know that why? little bit of self-awareness yeah, there. It's like I did. The, the, the look of absolute disgust it's in your eyes. It's like, what have I become? Yeah, it's because I'm always chatting in like the American sense. I get you, man. Um, but yeah, you're doing like a tr- your first training block is one to four. You take a break and then you're doing like a five to nine. Okay, so now you've done your, your competitive training for the day. But because you're a pro player, most likely a streamer as well, and you've got sponsors and other obligations and a community, don't forget, because you're an influencer, um, the blue hair. <laughs> um <laughs> 
you will most likely come off maybe about that eight, nine o'clock. You'll have a team dinner, go out and get some food yourself. You may go to the gym. And then what you'll do is you'll come back about nine, ten. You'll jump on Twitch mm -hmm. and you may stream Twitch till like three because that's your obligation. Yeah. And then maybe you'll chat your friends for an hour, go to bed at like two, half two yeah. and repeat. And that is, that is it, you know, five, five days a week, pretty much if you're, if you're in the competitive season, then you'll play your games whenever the schedule is. Um, and it's pretty demanding for an esports player as well. If, you know, a lot of it's been online because of COVID, but if you're traveling around the world, you know, it is a very. Dude, time zones, it, everything. It, 100%. It is. Staying in places, not your own bed. Brutal. It is. It really is. And I don't think people understand that. I think it's just, quote, unquote, you can say it and do them here, playing a game. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. There is a lot more to it. And I think the big thing that people don't realize is the mental load. The mental load is huge. Yeah. And there is a physiological load as well. Like your heart rate being in 160 beats per minute for what, like eight hours a day? Mm -hmm. Like that's serious physiological load. And then the cognitive load as well from having to you know, process all the information. Like, what is it again? Like, it's like 400 outputs per minute on a keyboard and mouse, which actions per minute is the actual term. It's insane. Like, the average person does between, or can do between like 80 and 120. Yeah. You're doing 400 outputs per minute. And again, the, eight hours a day. It's not, it's not directly related, but I remember they did that study on chess players mm. and they proved that like, they burn something like an extra thousand calories a day on game days. Yeah. And sitting in a chair using their brain and moving their fingers. You know, chess players started taking creatine because they realized that it was giving them powerful cognitive benefits that would give them a competitive advantage. Mm -hmm. Cognitive athletes, it's amazing yeah. phrase. It is very true. And the other interesting thing on that, so that's kind of dead life of an esports player, right? The other thing as well is what's cool from a sports science point of view is that there is no blueprint here. Mm. You know, if you want to go and be a rugby player, it's pretty well defined what you need to do depending yeah. on what position you play, what the S&C program is and, yeah. and how you're going to get there. Esports, it's the Wild West. It's the Wild West. It really is, which is exciting. And you're like Leonardo DiCaprio in Inception. You're like, we're going to create our own world. <laughs> Literally, yes. As a performance kind of coach in esports, that is what we're trying to do. Yeah. We're trying to understand these unique cognitive performers and meet them where they're at mm -hmm. and build frameworks and protocols and interventions around them that allow them to achieve optimal health and performance. And that's very much an experiential learning thing. Totally. And you can take a lot of best practices, of course, from traditional sports and understanding the body, the mind, and how it all works. But applying it in that specific context is unique. Mm. And that's what's exciting and pioneering in many ways. And that's what I'm doing now with Adimas, which is the new company I'm, I'm working with, um, which is very exciting. And they work with some of the biggest teams around the world. So that's that's kind of the esports chapter. And I think, you know, we've also, I mentioned there, kind of streamers. Streamers, I would say have very similar challenges with yeah. like, and you would, it's things you wouldn't even think of as well, Molly, like energy management is a huge one. Mm -hmm. Identification um, with, or identifying with, for example, like what your followers are, your numbers yeah. are, stuff like that, which I know you would, you would, you would have experienced before in the past and that being attached to your self-worth. Mm -hmm. there's, there's this whole list and things like if you're sat there for like eight hours a day or 12 hours a day streaming over your injuries and your wrists, you know, issues with your back, your eyes, this whole long list, and a lot of the time, like, these streamers are making serious money. Sure. Same with the players, but they're so broken and fatigued and stressed and burnt out that they can't even enjoy it. Yeah. So really, our goal is about how do we help these individuals find a healthy balance so they can perform at their best mm. sustainably. Yeah. That's the big thing. Yeah. And, and unfortunately as well, you know, a lot of these young kids will genuinely go from playing in their bedrooms one year or get into the academies and be there for maybe, you know, a year or two before they get the break in the pro team. But they, they genuinely don't have these coping mechanisms or skills. And it's only when they get into that kind of high-performance environment 
which we're trying to help teams create, where they get access to performance coaches, to yeah. you know other people who can help them achieve that. But a lot of the time, you know, it's it's very rare the player comes in, hits the ground running straight off the bat, because mm-hmm. you're taking them out of an environment which they're used to. They identify with that environment if it's a bedroom and adopt the behaviours of that environment. You bring them into a new environment, you're teaching them new behaviours, new things. It takes a long time for them to do that. And as well, you're, you're working with younger people, you know, under the age of 21, a lot of the time for the for the initial transition into the team. And we talked about the lack of experience and self-awareness and they've grown up in this tech. Yeah, totally. So many things and so many challenges stacked against them. Yeah. So really, that's kind of like our role, I suppose. And one of the things I'm trying to do is almost be, that's quote unquote, still your term here, the elder. Yeah. It is kind of trying to provide a bit of guidance through this journey of esports mm-hmm. for them. Because what they're doing is phenomenal, and I don't think a lot of people really respect or understand the challenges of being a professional esports athlete or a gamer. Um, and really, what we're trying to do is to try to help support them on that journey. So that's that's a bit about the kind of esports performance health side. Um, if you don't mind me speaking briefly on the kind of blockchain gaming side, because I think there's something here that's kind of revolutionary. Please, I have no idea about it, so okay. I would actually love love the opportunity to learn. Cool. Well, like I suppose we we kind of talked earlier about how do gamers game today, mm-hmm. right? You go into a digital world, you play your character, you level up the character, you might buy in-game skins or maybe quite a few. Or for me, I'll tell you, actually, my worst one was FIFA. Really? I used to steal my dad's credit card. No. And like, and like put on like new buy packs and then my dad would be like, Ryan, what are these charges? What, what could you get in FIFA? Like new trainers or like... <laughs> oh, no, no, just packs. FIFA Ultimate Team. So you would buy, you know the way you'd have a pack of cards yeah. and then you'd buy the pack and then you might get like a team of the week uh, player or whatever. Right. This, is, this is going like back. Like Pokemon cards, you're like trying to get like you're the, trying to get the, best the one. big, the big the card. The best one okay, and yeah. build your team And it's like a slot that. machine sort of, you don't know if you're going to get it. Exactly. Okay. And that goes back to the whole hooked thing with the variability yeah, of reward yeah. and why we're hooked into that. But we're not talking <laughs> that now but my, my point being is so if you look at how we interact today typically we are licensing these assets of the game developer themselves we do not own the asset and this is one of the big things with the web3 philosophy it is about true digital ownership okay um and i'm going to caveat that in a second and come back and say maybe why it's not the case today but i'll come back to that so that's what it's like today. We we interact into these worlds, we play these games, and we basically grind our asses off, um, but don't really get much value out of it apart from the amazing experiences and the fun and the social kind of currency that we get from saying we've got the best character or whatever, right? But what if there was a world where all of the time, Maddie, you and I spent gaming <laughs> and grinding was actually worth something of real monetary value yeah. that we could transact with one another? And our time would no longer, quote-unquote, be wasted. Mm -hmm. So one of the things which blockchain technology is trying to do is to try to, well, three core things and what it does differently is one is digital ownership, two is provenance, and three is economies. So we start with number one. With blockchain technology, essentially what you... I don't want to go into too much technical chat in this year of a blockchain tech, but a very high level. Yeah. Essentially what it would allow us to do, if game developers, let's say Fortnite, decided they were going to build blockchain technology into the core of their game, if we were playing the game and we completed challenges, for example, and we unlocked the skins, we would truly own that skin. Mm-hmm. And that means that if we, for example, you were the highest level you could be in the game, Ali, right? Because you grinded it out. And you've, you know, got that character um, 
and you've decided, you know what, I actually don't want to play an Epic's ecosystem anymore. I want to go play Call of Duty. But you've got this character. Previously in the world today, you can't sell that character. Mm-hmm. You just got to, you know, you just kind of leave it there. Yeah. But imagine you could sell that to me. I want to get into the uh, Epic meta- or metaverse. I yeah. want to play Fortnite. Uh, can I buy your character? Yeah. So a lot, lot, a lot of what's happening today is these marketplaces that happen out of the game developers ecosystem. So for example, World of Warcraft, you can like level up your cards and buy them in the black market. So let me go back to this for a second. RuneScape, yes. I was involved in the black market. Perfect. It's actually, it's quote unquote called gray market. That's the okay. t- term that's coined. So I would level up characters and sell them. Yes. Or I would amass fortunes uh, and I would sell them, you know, real world trading, I think was the term that was used, RWT. Yes. But it was all illegal. It was, well, not illegal. It was illegal in the games context. Yes. You know, it was against their terms of service. Correct. But now I'm wondering, like, so you're saying that the, the games kind of, like, want to own that process and take a piece of the pie? Correct. So okay. let's think about this now. So we have two things. One, currently you're licensing, a gamer today is licensing the asset of the game developer. And yeah. two, if you actually want to sell that, let's say, offline out of their ecosystem, the game developer doesn't get a cut of that. So they're making, like, uh, in-universe digital eBay we're getting there. That's that's point three, the okay. marketplace. Okay. So two is you're you're participating in the grey market today. Yeah. What they want to try to do is essentially create an in-game marketplace, which, yeah. for example, Minecraft, Roblox, and Fortnite are developing and have already got today, where you can do and buy and sell this in the Web two version. Crazy. Um, but it, it would basically do it in a safe way. Like one of the big issues, and I don't know if this ever happened to you, Manny, but I am shamefully going to say this. When I was younger, I uh, wanted to get all of the camos unlocked for Call of Duty. Sure. And someone was going to mod, give me a modded account so I could just play around with that. Yeah. I got scammed. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> when I was that young. And I'm like, the thing is, though, this is so common in like gaming. Like when you're so young and naive at that age, like early teens, you have no Dude, idea what, what I said doing. earlier. I, I learned so much of like the, the evil of humanity, yeah. <laughs> of people stealing my stuff I constantly. I was so angry, Marty, for yeah. so long. I'm not going to swear on the podcast, but yeah. you imagine some experience. I remember I fell for like, um, so Jagex was the developer of RuneScape, right? Mm-hmm. And there was these guys who used to sit in like the town square in RuneScape and they would say, oh, how amazing. Uh, Jagex censors out your password and then they would do a load of asterisks. And so me being like 11, <laughs> typed out my password and it just came up, you know, oh, I love cats, one, two, three, or whatever it was. And then immediately I realized what had happened. And back in those days, if you... Uh, if someone else signed onto your account, it would boot you out, and immediately I just got booted. Password changed. Well, you know, That's character woke up the next day, bank completely looted, yeah, everything gone. Bad. You know. Three months of work just down the drain. and That's, I, that's heartbreaking. That, that was age. my phoenix rising from the ashes moment, you know. Yep. Never again. We've, we've I'll, had it. I'll show them. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But I think that that, but that that genuinely does bring up a big concern today is um, because these transactions are happening outside of the developer's kind of control, it is, it is I'm going to say, unsafe. They're, they're paved because they can't get a cut of the transaction. Sure, yeah. But at the same time, from McGaber's point of view, like it well from the developer's point of view it makes it difficult because then you've got all these different accounts it's hard to verify who's doing what and trying to actually balance the game for that reason the second thing is from a gamer's point of view you've got a high risk of getting scammed that's the the knowing thing we both experienced a lot of gamers i'm sure if you speak to any gamer they've probably experienced it some stage in their gaming career i'm just gonna inject this because i think you'd find it really interesting like literally like 30 seconds uh I watched something recently. There's like guys that make video essays about RuneScape because they're very interested in it as like a social experiment. Mm. And they basically uncovered that there was a lot of in-game racism towards Venezuelans. What? And you want to hear why? 
So the Venezuelan economy like completely tanked a few years ago and there was a sizable percentage of the population that started playing RuneScape to make money. And so you would have a lot of like bot farmers and stuff that were set up by Venezuelans to literally try and feed their families real life bread. And what was happening was it was kind of like disrupting and undercutting the RuneScape economy mm. where the prices of stuff started getting really out of control because people were trying to like come in here and use it for real world purposes. Mm-hmm. It's just so crazy. Chat about Axie Infinity in a minute. Okay. Because yeah. that's a similar example in the Philippines and the play to earn revolution and blockchain gaming, but we'll come on to that. Yeah. Um very similar kind of idea there. But it is it's it's amazing. Like in these in these worlds, yeah. you have your own economy. Yeah. And I think that's kind of point three is they're trying to build these uh, economies within these metaverses which try to incentivize gamers to like add value to the game or to others um and like the other cool thing is if you're a game developer you could set like a fiscal policy for example of how people interact in your economy you could set you know you could take a tax on all the transactions or whatever it may be so there is these kind of new revenue models that are opened up through implementing blockchain technology um so yeah, like some some of the cool stuff then, I suppose. So like we talked about digital ownership there. The reason why I said I want to caveat that and go back to that point is, so with with the blockchain, um, when you own that asset, you basically own like the metadata and say the asset typically will probably be an NFT, which is a non-fungible token. Um, that NFT itself is basically just a block on the blockchain yeah. of metadata and the data itself gives the attributes to the NFT. Yeah. For example, your boots in RuneScape yeah. may have certain attributes. They will be hard-coded into that data. Yeah. Now, what is interesting is if it's truly decentralized, it will be on that public blockchain. But typically today, and what we're actually seeing is that a lot of these games that are being quote-unquote coined as decentralized are actually hosted on centralized servers. Okay. Um, and also the assets that you would get in these play to earn games are also stored in centralized databases. Now, why this is important to understand is that say, for example, let's take Epic here because everyone knows Epic, but this wouldn't be the case. Well, it might say, Matty, I'm Epic and you're one of my Fortnite gamers, right? And, uh, you've just unlocked like a mythical sword or something epic. The Rolex of Fortnite. The Rolex of Fortnite. Okay. A submariner, super yeah. rare, super expensive. Yeah. yeah. Whatever it may be, right? Yeah. Your prized possession. Now, in our database, the hard code represents all the attributes of that sort. Of it. And, and the other thing I haven't mentioned yet, which is point two, is provenance. You can see who actually owns that and you can verify its origins or it, where, like, who created it, what was it used for, like, was that sword used to kill a boss yeah, in yeah, yeah, one yeah, yeah. epic fight, yeah. and you can verify yeah. that it was Maddie who wielded the sword in the battle yeah, yeah, and took yeah. out yeah, whoever it, it, it may It's be. like the little piece of paper that comes with the watch that says, you know, this watch was worn by my great-great-grandfather in the Correct. Vietnam War, and then after that it was passed to the ownership here. It was serviced here, 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 yeah. It's literally like a digital receipt of yeah. all the history of who's owned it and, and all... All, yeah, all of that's a really nice way of putting it. It yeah. is. It is like. And that, if that Ninja used it in like the, the final, then it would be like buying like Ronaldo's football boots when he scored like the goal, the the game winning goal, like all that sort of stuff. Perfect. That's right. exactly. So that's really exciting for gamers. If you could own an asset that you can, you know, it's trustless. Like I don't need you to tell me that because I can tell, I can see in the blockchain the data that that yeah. was, that that's true. Yeah. Um. But yeah, going back to like kind of the digital ownership and why I say caveat it. So if I'm Epic and you have that asset. 
and it's got all these attributes. What I technically could do if I really wanted to be a dick, I could go in and recode that and just turn it into like a massive turd emoji. And, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Because I, I, I actually, as much as you have the receipts saying that you own it, I actually have the ability to hard code and change that NFT. Yeah. Um, and that's an issue. Yeah. So that's one of the things that people don't think. And when everyone's talking about, oh, yeah, it's true, digital ownership and stuff like that there. Yes, it technically is. You have the receipt as the gamer to say that you own the digital item. But if it's actually stored in a centralized database, the developer who has the ability to hard code can actually change that. Mm-hmm. So that's something to be really aware of. And not many people talk about that when they talk about the benefits of blockchain gaming. So that's a little kind of nugget that I think as games become progressively decentralized and as we see decentralization of the databases in which the assets are stored and the games hosted on decentralized servers, the reason why that's not the case now is due to scalability. Yeah. You just can't scale. The technology and infrastructure isn't in place to, yeah. to be able to scale the number of gamers, for example, in like a Fortnite. So that's one thing. Two is the provenance that we just touched upon there. Like, that's something I think personally for me is really cool. Like, I know I'm a massive fan of Optic Gaming and Call of Duty. And if I could have the SMG that, you know, Optic's going to be used to, like, win what, you know, Call of Duty champs. Yeah. And I could have that and have that, like, signed. Yeah. Um, I would fork out a lot of money. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Molly. I would fork out a lot of money. And if I could use that gun yeah. in the game... Yeah. Um, in Call of Duty with my friends then would not be epic but how about this here's something really cool about smart contracts and NFTs and why it opens up a new revenue stream and new economy Optics Company is the owner of that gun okay mm-hmm. and, and I'd say Activision Blizzard if they were developing at that stage or maybe Treyarch right say it's Treyarch 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 owned the asset Scumpy is the owner of the gun or the athlete in question right now what if every time I you know, I, I use this gun, for example, and I level up or get currency in the game. Say it's a played earn game. Now Call of Duty goes played earn. I get real cryptocurrency from playing the game. Mm-hmm. What if Scumpy gets 5% of that every time? Every single thing I do, he gets 5% kickback. Or alternatively, let's say you also love Scumpy, right? And you love Call of Duty and you love Optic Gaming. And I say, you know what? I've had my time with it. I'm going to move on to my, to my next game. I'm going to go into the Epic Games metaverse now. I'm going to sell this to Matty. What happens if Optics Company then, he now gets 10% of every transaction that occurs. So if you sell it to your friend or sell that to your friend, you're always getting yeah. a percentage yeah. of that. So this is where smart contracts come in with NFTs. And the smart contract is basically like an autonomous contract that if certain conditions are met, something else triggers. So if Matthew sells... Um, or if Ryan sells the gun to Matthew, then Scumpy gets X percent of the revenue of that sale, yeah. for example. Um so that's something that's interesting. There is, and I want to caveat this again, because all these things sound great in theory, but in practice, there are some very big challenges. One of the big things that's happening at the minute is in, in America is the SEC uh, is basically trying to set out their policy for how they're going to regulate interesting uh, cryptocurrencies and NFTs and all yeah, these yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, this is where the real world, quote unquote, yeah. clashes with the digital. Because it's a bit of a wild west at the minute, and now people are trying to come in and kind of set parameters, and ultimately, more importantly, take tax from it. <laughs> yes, and you know, you have people, people being like, "Well, why are you trying to take ten percent of this? Because like you don't own this. Why, yeah. why are you coming here, bro?" Yeah. Well, well, I don't want to go into too much detail because we could genuinely go down a rabbit hole here. But basically, you have to uh, for something to be classified as security under American law. I think I'm correct here. It has to pass a thing called the Howey test. Okay. And there's four different parameters, which I actually can't remember off the top of my head right now. But okay. we can go away and have a look at that. Um, <laughs> But basically, it means that NFTs can actually be classed as security, and therefore, you need to pay tax on it. Whereas a lot of the way in which crypto has been operating for the last two years is like, what? the system, Tax, bro. what is that, bro? <laughs> Decentralized. Yeah. 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 So there's going to be big issues here, retrospectively, yeah. uh, in place. So what I'm trying to say is, once again, 
these ideas are great and really cool, but there are some real world applications that need to be teeth out. And that's a reflection of where we're at with Web3. Yeah. We're in early days in terms of technology and people are trying to catch up to how do we regulate this? What is metaverse look like this immersive metaverse i'm going to call it coin it look like in our society moving forward yeah um and then yeah, the final thing we mentioned there was just kind of the marketplace the economies like this this genuinely gives game creators the opportunity to do really cool things to earn new revenue streams to try to actually be uh aligned with the gamers themselves like can we create a win-win environment where gamers benefit in the game for doing things that the developers actually want them to do mm. um for example let's say you are an elder in the game right say you're a pro yeah. at rune Escape, right yeah and say i'm a noob and noob is someone with like no experience by the way who's just joined the game and i have no idea what i'm doing I'm trying to run around and catch chickens right you could for example like take me under your wing and yeah. upskill me and for doing that doing them quests and being my my guide and runescape yeah. the game developer will give you currency yeah um for doing something like that so that's and that's that's encouraging a healthy player base but again i'm thinking just like you know you could become like a like a coach hundred percent you know like instead of going on fiverr and, and paying someone you know 20 quid to show you how to use tiktoks like you're yeah. paying 20 quid can you help me do this mission <laughs> yeah but imagine imagine the game developers like have that built into the yeah. economy yeah so there's like these jobs to be done quests to be had so there's all these cool things that can happen from blockchain technology one of the questions that i have like through all this is and i think it, it speaks to probably how competitive the marketplace is going to be among developers I'm going to try to tie social media into this, so hopefully I can not lose us all in the thread. But if I've spent, say, two grand on a gun in Fortnite, I really want to make sure that Fortnite is going to still be here in five years. Yep. Historically, games have not really had that long of a cycle because you've been... It's Well, it was totally different. You know, you were buying a game for the the single player and you went through the game and the narrative and then you were finished moving on to the next game. Mm-hmm. Obviously things have changed quite a lot. World of Warcraft, RuneScape, Minecraft, games like this that are a lot more open. Fortnite, you can never beat it. It's just ongoing. It's its yep. own world. But it's a little bit like social media because, you know, MySpace was the giant and MySpace fell. Mm-hmm. Then Facebook became the giant. Yep. And while Facebook is still the giant, it's still at risk from new competitors, say, with the likes of TikTok. Yes. And you're going to have like the potential risk for monopolies because there's going to be so much economic infrastructure put around some of these metaverses that it's going to be very, very hard for new game developers to break out and penetrate that market because people will have literally invested real-life physical assets into it as well, which only strengthens the monopolization potential of some of those things. Here, that's... There's a lot to go through that question. But that's, that's... <laughs> Maybe that's just a comment. Maybe we no, just no, move no, on. No, no, it's really good, though. It's really important to, to note that because, okay, one of the things there maybe I can touch on or talk about is... Because, like, Instagram, like, I know a lot of people don't want to move away from Instagram because they've got 10 years of data on it. Yeah, well, why, why do you My think, memories are here. Why do you think Facebook acquired it? Yeah. Facebook knew it was becoming obsolete. That's why I acquired Instagram and WhatsApp. Yeah. Um, and... TikTok is obviously, you know, doing its own thing. But that- Dude, we can have a whole bigger thing here where it's like there's going to be like uh, nation wars. Because it all is, you know, TikTok is obviously owned by China, Facebook, and there's all, there's big like national real world. Like forget about the Cold War. This is yes. like 
It's a cyber the data war. war, the cyber it is, war. It is. That's cyber exactly war. it. And you're going to see more oh. and more of that. It's, this is a great movie, isn't it? This it's is. a shame we live here. But, but, but it is. Pierre, but I'll tell you what, though. Like, data or data, whatever way we want to we, we talk about it, is is the currency of the future. It still is. Yeah. You look at Web2, the big companies that are the, the fine companies, the Facebook, the Apple, the Netflix, et cetera, et cetera, and the Googles. They made their money through data. Yeah. And Web3 is going to be no difference. It's going to be more data, though, because of the Internet of Things. There's going to be more connected devices, yeah, yeah, yeah. more data on us. Yeah. And People are going to know your heart rate. They're going to know... Oh, they're going to know everything. Yeah. What that kind of... I, th- I think that's cool for preventative health. I think that's cool. But we... One, okay, so, like, one of the things to be really conscious of here is because you mentioned some big companies and the mop- monopolies in, in Web3. The companies that have dominated Web2 are building for Web3 now. They're yeah. investing shit tons of money yeah, yeah, yeah. to try to be the first metaverse, sorry, meta <laughs> with their Horizon Worlds. You know, Zuckerberg's talked about how that's going to, with well, they're, 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 they're really developing out the more VR side of things and that they're trying to change the way in which we kind of socialize and work. Then you've got ones like Decentraland and Sandbox, which are more about games. Um, and they're really driving their economies through selling of NFTs. You've probably heard about like buying digital land and some of the land going for hundreds of thousands and Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg is, Snoop Dogg is you. Yeah. He's everywhere, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's really ahead of it, but he genuinely is. He's down with like FaZe Clan with esports and he understands the cultural shift. He's, he's tapped into this. Um, then you've got like uh, the AAA game publishers, like the Epics, the Roblox, the Minecrafts. Like they're looking at what's their metaverse strategy. How do they integrate? Because they know it's coming. Yeah. And then finally, you've got like core blockchain developer gaming studios. In my opinion, for one of them to break through, if you look at the shifts we've had in gaming, the big genre shifts, you had the uh, MMORPGs. That's right, yeah. And then most recently was the Battle Royale. Battle Royale absolutely changed the game. Yeah. There was PUBG, which was kind of like the leading game there. Um, and for anyone who doesn't understand what Battle Royale is, it's basically where like 100 players drop into a map. Yeah. Sometimes it's 1v1s or, you know, everyone does it solo. Sometimes it's two, sometimes it's fours. But basically you're competing against a group of other individuals in this very large server and you're trying to be the last one standing and you basically have to loot and scavenge and and fight and kill <laughs> um, and to, to become the last one standing but my point being is PUBG revolutionized that category yeah. they forged new ground and on the back of that then you had Fortnite Fortnite was almost like the child version of, of PUBG yeah. and then you had Warzone yeah. and Warzone has obviously broken so many records so what I'm thinking is is the next big shift and gaming cycles, and I've got this from Matthew Ball, by the way, kind of the evolution takes every about five to six years. You see a big shift in gaming and some sort of technology or experience or whatever it may be. Is the next big shift going to be blockchain gaming? Like, are we going to get a triple A game studio size Fortnite-esque play to earn game? Yeah. And this is what I want to talk about Axie Infinity. Axie Infinity was the one play to earn game that literally like blew away everyone else. You talked about the Venice, or Venezuela kind of, uh, I would say, challenge where they were basically coming into RuneScape and, and being part of the economy and they kind of altered the game's mechanics. What happened with the Philippines actually was that during COVID when uh, everything got locked down, a lot of these Philippine families couldn't provide food um, or individuals couldn't provide food for the family. So Play to Earn started kicking off around about that time. And what they realized was that they could actually earn more Mm-hmm. from playing 
uh, Axie Infinity, which yeah. that game, very, very quickly high level, is where you have like an Axie, kind of think Pokemon, yeah. and where you would farm the Axie, train it up, and then it would compete against other Axies. And you get this thing called Smooth Love Potion, SLP. And the SLP currency can be used to like upskill or, or breed more of the Axies, or it can be used to actually convert into USDC and then into US dollar. So that's how you actually get the money out of the game. But what the Philippines were realizing was that they could actually earn money from doing that. Yeah. Unfortunately, due to the how Axie was kind of um, developed in the economy, it became difficult for new players to enter the ecosystem because the cost of an Axie became so high. Yeah. But then you started having other cool economic models where people could rent their Axies out. So for example, if you owned a five Axies, Matt, you could rent five of your friends. We would do all the work and you would get a percentage of the cut. Yeah. Um, it's like renting out your delivery account to other people. Literally that. Genuinely that. I don't want to go into too much detail again of that, but it, it, it kind of, in my opinion, is like, okay, if we can get some sort of like first-person shooter off the same scale of magnitude off of Fortnite for play to earn, yeah. that could be the shift yeah. in more and more gamers adopting blockchain technology. And once again, I will caveat that by saying the user experience needs to be much more seamless. Uh-huh. We don't need, we need to find a way to make it like one click and you've got your security taken care of, you've That's got your it. wallet integrated. Yeah. You know, we understand how NFTs work. You know, we've got all these different things yeah. patched into one. Um, but that that really excites me. And, and I think also then maybe in the next few years, what we'll start seeing is, and I think Pokemon Go was a really successful example of this. Like they used AR. Mm-hmm. AR, in my opinion, will probably be one of the next iterations of technology for it's really immersive in VR. I think AR glasses type esque interactivity in everyday life will be the next logical pro- or transition for me, um, amongst other technologies that are being built out in the background. But I think the likes of Pokemon Go was great, where you could, you know, you've seen it when it was when it was peak. Molly, like you played it as well. I played it. Like I was in I was in New York at the, at the height of it, and you tangibly saw it happen, and it was quite incredible. Actually. Yeah, like. Yeah. Is People running around Nan- Central Nan- Park. And- Nantak is the developer of that. Are like they're really pushing hard in that category, and they're one of the big games developer studios. And in, in in the uh, you know I know race. I know it's kind of like old now, but like I really enjoyed like the concept of Google Glass and how you know they would have like zombie games designed around fitness where you would run away from zombies. You know, I, I, I quite like uh, that idea. Like, here, thank you so much for teeing this up, by the way. <laughs> so one of the areas that I'm actually looking at at the minute is move to earn. Ooh. Okay, so my actual mission right now, I'm working with Adimas and doing esports oh, performance and health side of things. health insurance uh, companies would Here we go. Oh, man, stop it, stop Come it. on. Stop it, right? So what I'm really passionate about is, okay, how can we try to increase the physical activity levels of our generation, okay? Yeah. We already know, like, the links. Well, the rise in rates of obesity is quite alarming. The stress on the NHS is alarming. Yeah. Uh, but... What I feel like there is, there's a massive lack of education about healthy eating. There's a massive lack of accessibility to cheap foods. The easier choice is fast food. And there is no real incentivization to take care of your physical health. Okay. There are some truths. And it's only getting worse. Right. What if with this new Web3 kind of model where the, the, the philosophy of Web3 very much is if you participate in a community or you are active in a sense of interacting with an application, you're rewarded for doing so. What if we could change how people interacted with their health and wellness? Mm -hmm. Can we, and this is what's happening right now and what I was working on in Stealth for the last year, can we try to help encourage people to move more? Movement, in my opinion, is the first step. No pun intended. (laughs) Um, But it really is. It's the low barrier to entry. Anyone in 
with respect, vast majority of people can just put on their shoes, walk out the door, mm-hmm. and get going. Yeah. Doesn't have to be complicated gym programs, mm-hmm. nutritional routines, just get moving. I mean, you know this, but I, I just want to say it for the sake of saying it. You know, there's been some absolutely bulletproof clinical trials that have proven that you'll you'll love how low barred entry this is. 30 minutes, three times a week, brisk walk outperforms antidepressants when treating and managing depression. There you go. Come on. Movement is medicine, people. Ooh. Please listen to us. <laughs> no, genuinely, but it is. Like, it, it's it's so true. And, and it, But but I, I think sometimes, like, it goes back, maybe it's the dopamine. Maybe, like, this, there's a macro issue here, like, with society, how it's structured and how we integrate as human beings in society and our connectedness to these technologies and to reality. That's another discussion. But esoteric again. But I think, really, that society is broken in many ways. So how can we understand now this version of the human being and how we're hardwired which very much is this the, the trigger the uh stimulus or the stimulus trigger reward variability and reward cycle yeah. can we understand that and say you know what we accept this is how we're hardwired now yeah. but can we use that for good yeah so really one of my missions is at the minute and what i'm trying to flesh out is how can i help get a billion people more active mm. and part of how i think that can be done is through move to earn yeah. so there's some really cool companies like stepping like Genopets, uh, like all of X, you're building a fitness metaverse at the minute. And uh, I think them companies are definitely paving the way for that category. But one of my big things, and obviously working with the gaming demographic is, look, gamers are hooked into a digital world for, as we said, maybe eight to 12 hours a day. And for a lot of gamers, any time spent away from the game is time wasted in their eyes. Mm-hmm. But what if we could give them or help them level up their in-game scores and character through their out-of-game activities. Yeah. So no time has to be wasted. Yeah. And it's about achieving balance. So how can we help them enjoy their experience when they're in the digital world, but when they switch off, they understand that there's a need to balance that out with physical activity, mental activity, whatever that may be. So really what, what I've been working on is an app where it's a health and fitness app that incentivizes gamers to increase their physical activity levels by giving them in-game rewards. So just think very, very quickly. Like you would do a partnership with someone like EA, if anyone's in the football here. And for that week, you may have a challenge card, right? And your challenge card, Matty, is a combination of both in-game challenges and out-of-game challenges. So the out-of-game challenges you may have to do this week may be walk for 30 minutes in one session, accumulate 20,000 steps. Have your heart rate at zone four, which is like, you know, 160 beats, depending on your age, for 10 minutes, right? They're your three out of game. Your three in game are you got to win one game of FIFA, you've got to score three goals, Mm -hmm. and you've got to, I know, buy one pack, right? If you do that challenge card, imagine it's spinning up, (laughs) and then out of the box, you get your FIFA Ultimate Team pack. And if you think about the benefits for a game publisher, right? They're saying, look, we understand, we want to keep people in our digital ecosystem, but we also want our people to be healthy and yeah. happy. We want we want a healthy community. We don't want a toxic community, and toxicity is one of the big issues within gaming. There's a lot of toxic toxic people there, and that goes back to the whole shit life syndrome and why you actually go in to yeah. play these games to escape your reality. And unfortunately, a lot of times, because people can hide behind these digital identities, they tend to act like real dicks online. Yeah. <laughs> and that's something you need to be very aware of, I think, for parents as well, letting their kids go into these ecosystems is the toxicity and the potential people they may come up against. However, what if the game publisher actually took onus on themselves to take care of their community? So their corporate social responsibility is also like using this app that is saying, look, enjoy your gaming time when you're in our world, but when you're out, 
we want to incentivize you and encourage you to take care of your physical and mental health so that you can stay the best version of you yeah. in game and out of game. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to do. It's cool. So that's one of the things I've been thinking about. You know, my team and I worked on it for the last year. It's kind of on the icebox at the minute, but still, I really, I really do believe in Move the Earn. And I really do feel like, you know, one of the things I talk about, like my why in life and what I've been trying to think about for the last year is like what I actually want to do. Yeah. And it really is about working with people and trying to help people become the best version of themselves. Yeah. You know, that may be, and, and, and that could be physically, that could be mentally, whatever it may be. It could be mentoring in business sense. It can be coaching as a performance coach. It can just be there listening as a friend. That's what I like to do. I like to help people. But I feel like the grand mission and how you can do that scale is through gaming. And I almost feel like it's a perfect wave right now with gaming, which is obviously here and it's growing rapidly. Web3, which gives us this new incentivization model. And the fact that we also have a mental health crisis because of these new technologies as well. Mm. So there's a different different things brewing at once. So I'm still going to explore that. But I'm glad you mentioned kind of the physical activity side and, and move to earn is definitely a niche of Web3 that I'm particularly very passionate about. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I think that's just a lovely way to end. I mm. think you've you've naturally brought the plane down in a very, very nice place. I'll just end by saying before I thank you and all that good stuff. I remember reading an article, I can't remember who wrote it, it was like by some like, you know, Silicon Valley guru. And he talked about two different types of people. He talked about prophets versus wizards, right? And he says that prophets are people who are always scared of the new and they're calling us back to the old. So the prophet is like the person on the side of the street saying like, throw your smartphones away. Like we need to go back to like living in huts because look at how society's falling apart. And the wizard is saying, okay. I see the future. I see the challenges. Let's be optimistic. Let's be involved in this process because it's going to happen without us. And let's make sure that this is going to be for the betterment of humanity rather than the devastation of it. And I see you as a wizard. And I am very grateful that there are people like you in this world because I am a prophet and I am a guilty prophet at times. I think there are important roles prophets play in society to remind people of what is being lost in the process. But, you know, you know me, I've, I've taken a step away from many, many, many things. And I know you have too as well. But you have to go into those places because that's where the people are going to be. And so I'm grateful that you're doing what I am not doing. And genuinely, I'm very, very excited to see where that takes you. Appreciate it, Matty. Mate, thank you for your time today. Thanks very much for having me. Really good to catch up. Looking forward to the sauna. Yeah, I can't wait. (laughs)